starts. Anyways, um, and then before that was Bonnie and Clyde. That was the song name by uh, Serge Gainsborough and Bridget Bardot. Uh, it's a really cool music video, too. All right, time's up. Um, now for Roman's weekly review. I don't know if he's going to be here, but we'll at least listen to one of his shows. Thanks. Tune in next week. We're going to talk about why San Francisco's fucked. And it's going to be called What the Fuck San Francisco. If you got any stuff I can use on that, um, let me know. Okay, got to go. Bye.
and welcome to the weekly review. Uh, it's Roman. Doing this a day early. Today it's Thursday, December 17th, 2015. I'll be out of town for a little bit, so wanted to get this uh, one in before I head out. And so there's actually been some some positive news, which is which is rare, certainly. So I wanted to get to that. Also some uh, not so great news, uh, which is also fair to get to. And I'll start off with a rant. Because I haven't ranted for a while, and it's good to have a a soapbox, as it were, just to rant. And it's just about people taking up space and uh, uh, how frustrating that is. And uh, to be authentic and to speak up for oneself is very difficult in this world. And it's not easy. And perhaps if it were easier, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. And I think part of the reason that we're in the mess that we're in, and that would be the systems that are in place that keep people oppressed and keep people fighting, one another is because certain people aren't challenged and it's very difficult to challenge uh, some people that could either involve speaking up or um, perhaps doing something more physical maybe um, but even it it's just it's difficult at times uh, the last few days uh, and this is something I kind of experience on a daily basis just hearing uh, whether it's it's words or I ideas that are really like hurtful and problematic and uh sometimes people's response to that when you call them out on, on it is uh, they say oh you're too def- you're so you're too defensive or you're too sensitive instead of a- actually saying hey let's actually talk about this and so i can understand where you're coming from no quite often it's like people immediately uh, uh just want to deny any responsibility and that's really frustrating and I think it's, it's part of human nature I certainly am not uh, I can't necessarily say that I haven't done that as in my my time here on earth and I think it's just it's really commonplace and it's what a lot of us do and it's uncomfortable to be called out on privilege and it's uncomfortable just to be called out in general and so I understand people getting defensive it's just that things aren't going to change until people actually want to uh, have a discussion and then also sometimes it's really frustrating and tiring to have that discussion even people are willing to listen because a lot of times people aren't willing to listen and a lot of times in the past 24 hours I've just had to walk away and from a conversation I I just had to be like nope I'm just not even going to I'm not even going to engage because I just can't even stand to be here right now, and that's kind of where I'm at right right now. And I have a feeling I'm not not alone in that. Just the idea, and sometimes people don't even notice it. You just kind of walk away, like oh, maybe that's socially awkward or not acceptable. Uh, but, but I do believe in protecting oneself, and also sometimes if I stay in a situation, I'm going to maybe say something or do something that I might regret, but that might be harmful to somebody else so that's why I tend to leave situations although sometimes uh, it's kind of difficult to because sometimes maybe you're sitting in a place and you can't you don't have easy access to the exit that's happened to me quite a bit uh, in certain situations depending on the seating you might be like oh my gosh I need to get out of here and uh, it, it might be too much trouble just to actually leave um, so that that happens as well and I thought that was just worth talking about and I feel a lot better because I know I'm not alone in that and the fact that it's happened to me less than uh, well less yeah less it has been at least twice 
price in the past 24 hours, less than 24 hours, uh, says a lot, I think. And I am someone who I feel I'm definitely very privileged in a lot of ways. So if I'm experiencing this discomfort, uh, imagine what's happening for everyone else. <sighs> so I guess we'll get started with the news. Uh, yes. So as promised, um, we have some positive news stories. We'll maybe do like a bookend of uh, positive and then some ugh, in the middle and you know but there's also there's some great quotes from Rod Sterling I was I don't I'm pretty non-materialistic and I don't have too many things but I still like to like get rid of things and there's a few very few material items overall in the grand scheme of things as, as far as materialistic Americanism Americanism that's not a word maybe it is no anyway in, in our culture there's very much much this emphasis on buying and things and keeping things as if like the things that we have are quote unquote own, although ownership is a whole idea that can be just deconstructed, uh, somehow makes us better people or makes us uh, better than others or it somehow is supposed to like represent us or stand. Not it's uh, somehow supposed to substitute, I guess, our, our inner being or perhaps our actions, and I don't, don't really disagree, I don't, dis I don't, I don't agree with that, I don't know why I said disagree, but, anyway, so I guess maybe the idea is like what we do choose to hold on to, so long story short, I went to the Rod Sterling Convention in LA, oh my goodness, a year and a half ago, two years ago, one year ago, I don't keep, I can't keep, keep track anymore, 2013, that that's it. So yeah, geez, two years ago. And there's quotes, uh, Rod Sterling quotes on right-wing extremism um, from the Rod Sterling papers at the Wisconsin Historical Society. Maybe I'll start off with that because I have it in my hands right now. So I'll start off with that. And then I'll go into some super great news. I, I don't, this is like not a typical news program where sometimes on the news it's like, find out what in your kitchen might kill you. And it could be, of course, anything. Um, where it's like you have to keep on listening or keep on watching, so they can put in more advertisements. I don't have. We don't have advertisements here. We just don't. And I do this program because I feel I have a duty to. And uh, why not? And there's a, a lack of truth and um, a lack of transparency and a lack of people. And also, if you're murdered by police or murdered by someone else, you don't have a chance to tell your side of the story. So the very least those of us who are living can do is uh, try to speak up for those whose lives have been taken from them. So that's part of the, it's just a general, it's an ongoing theme. Obviously, it doesn't have to be that specific. Um, however, that's what happens a lot. And that's what's happening right now. It happens. It's here in the city. It's not even, oh, it's happening elsewhere. It's happening right here in the city. So, so people need to be held accountable. So we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But point being, oh, I was going to start with a positive story. But, you know, but we'll, we'll get to that after I read these quotes, which are haunting. And uh, they're here. My point being, non-materialistic uh, I was going through some papers and I found this uh, uh, 
handout I got at the Rod Serling convention, which was awesome. And I thought that was really important and worth sharing. And also just to see that the uh, these ideas from like the 1960s are very, very still uh, applicable to what's going on today in the world. So uh, and that'll be going into another story that we we'll read a little bit later. But the, the first story I was going to get to eventually was that the supervisors, the board of supervisors here in San Francisco, unanimously voted to not build a new jail in San Francisco, which is great news. And surprising at that i'm definitely a cynic i'm a hopeful cynic i'm optimistic cynic but still a cynic nonetheless maybe i'm naive um the fact that they all decided not to build a new jail is really great news for, for many 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 people and that makes me very hopeful so we're getting into into that with some quotes from david compost and london breed and that's just um, some really good news. So starting off with uh, Rod Serling quotes on right-wing ex extremism from the Rod Serling papers at the Wisconsin Historical Society. Sending the extremists to the cornfield. Rod Serling's crusade against radical conservatism by Mark Bolton. And this is from uh, Westminster College. Uh, and here are some quotes here. Hate inequality are specters that have haunted us in other times. What is appallingly different in this 1964 year of our Lord is the strange and apparent respectability which somehow clothes which somehow clothes these forces of discrimination and intolerance. Where once a German American bun a silver shirt, a William Dudley Pelly, a Gerald L. K. Smith were harmless, insane, and discontinued microbes. The things they believed in, the goals they sought, the causes they espoused are now integral parts of the John Birch Society, the White Citizens Council, and, if you will forgive me, God help us, a strong element of the Republican Party. We are now witness to an overt and predatory attempt to make the kind of insanity a part of the government of the United States. So this quote's from 1964. And if anything, uh, it's definitely gotten even worse. So it definitely was uh, seeing into the future, uh, almost unfortunately uh, for us. Another quote, uh, if you scratch the surface of this new respectability, he continued in his speech, if you dig down past the rhetoric, past the apology, past the forensic that is draped with the American flag, sloganed with the talk of Bible and Constitution, what you unearth is a poison and a bile that we thought died in the ashes of Berlin in 1945. We are in mortal combat with forces not, not far removed from the swastika and the brown shirt. Moving onwards, prejudice, for example, always comes out like a tract in my writing. It's a thing I abhor most in the world. I find it warping, corroding, and evil. And too often, when I go after it with both hands, what I have wrought is not entertainment but pamphleteering. I hear that. 
Onwards. If the signs, obvious and profuse, on the streets of Dallas that black morning which read, wanted for treason, JFK, are exemplary of that spirit, we had best carefully re-examine what dormant hatred, bitterness, and prejudices can be conjured up by these men of honor. And I'll do one more, and then we'll get into the news, and then I'll come back to a few more of these. Democracy, by its nature, must not only uh, uh, countenance differences of opinions, but welcome them. We have need in this country for an enlightened, watchful, and articulate opposition. We have no need for semi-secret societies who are absolute, dictatorial, and would substitute a rule of law and reason with an indiscriminate assault on the institutions of this republic that should and must be held sacrosanct. It was for this principle that a martyred young president laid down his life, the voices of hatred, discord, and divisiveness nonwithstanding. So, 1964, let's see, that's the, all right, 36 plus uh, 15, that's 51 years ago. Um, yeah, so 51 years ago, and uh, a lot of this is still still true. It's all still true, actually. And if anything, I think it's just become to see the light more. And I don't know how much of that, that is just due to more with uh, uh, the polar opposites, you know, polarization, uh, maybe more truth is coming out because more people have are able to communicate you know through online uh online resources or, or what have you um to share more, more information so less things can remain hidden it's 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 unclear but these these are still these things are still very true and if anything i find it very validating and that's another reason I do the show is uh, just to find the, the validation and to hopefully other folks can also find validation in the anger and feelings of unjustness that often the media and uh, even entertainment industry to an extent, well, to a big extent, uh, a lot of it, a lot of the, whether it's through TV or, or things that are created, a lot of the time, it's as a distraction. There's definitely, don't get me wrong, I, I love, you know, watching movies and I love to zone out. And, and there's some work out there that's incredible and is intelligent and has emotional resonance and says something and is political. Um, but that's not the majority. I think that's safe to say. I think it's safe to say that the majority of the quote unquote work that's out there. And whether that be stories or things on the internet, just things to focus on um, don't really reflect back what society is. A lot of it is uh, smoke and mirrors and a lot of putting other people down, which I don't like, especially in comedy. I mean, the idea of comedy, as it says all the time, is to, to punch up, you know, the gesture. You know, do you want to ideally take down the king, right? Um... And it's also just to have a voice and to kind of poke fun at uh, uh, at the things that ordinarily we don't know how else 
to handle or how to combat. And when folks are in the position to be on stage and they end up, I don't know, pushing around other marginalized folks, that makes me really sick. And that goes back to the idea of uh, walking out of a room. And I understand you can't really change the conversation if you leave. Um, but understand just how uncomfortable uh, situations can be and just how I think it's really disrespectful. Um, but if I don't call people out on it, then nothing's going to change. So I guess it's up to me to, to stick around and to have these conversations. So there's that. Oh, I got myself down. It was bound to happen. That's okay. We're going to go with some positive news to cheer me up and cheer up you too if you actually care about the world, and hopefully you do. So this is some positive news, and I'm going to read from a couple of Board of Supervisors, people on the Board of Supervisors who voted unanimously to stop a jail being built in San Francisco, which is great. I'm all about taking down these systems, oppressive systems. I'm against mass incarceration. I'm a prison abolitionist. And the, you know, the best way to, first thing you got to do is you got to stop it from happening and stop it from continuing to happen before we can, you know, tear these institutions down. Although, Oh, I'd say let's get to it even faster than that. But this is great. This is so great. So Lyndon Breed um, wrote on uh, her Facebook, as a supervisor and a member of the city's capital planning committee, I have been working on the issues of a new jail all year. Professionally, this is an issue I take very seriously, but honestly, it's personal to me. My brother spent years years in 850 Bryant. This was never an issue I could take lightly. 850 Bryant needs to come down. But more than a building, we need to tear down the system of mass incarceration it represents. I'm not going to support another standalone jail to continue locking up African Americans and Latinos in the city. Today, I made a series of motions to reject the $300 million jail, and the board unanimously supported me. Then I introduced a resolution urging the director of public health and the sheriff to convene a working group to plan for the permanent closure of county jails three and four and for investments in new mental health facilities and current jail uh, retrofits needed to uphold public safety and better serve at-risk individuals. We can do better. We will do better. Oh, wow. <laughs> An elected official doing the right thing. I am smiling right, right now. It's, oh, that's so refreshing. That's good. That's really good. That's really good. And uh, David Compost adds, today was a historic vote for San Francisco and for California. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors just unanimously voted to reject uh, the proposed uh, two, he says $240 million uh, jail project. The board also made a commitment to invest in expanding alternatives to incarceration and community-based mental health programs rather than continue investing in a system that we know to be harmful and ineffective. That 
makes me super happy to hear. Uh, so, with that being said, I'm going to play some songs. There's a theme today on the show. There always is. And that's uh, people in positions of power who abuse their authority and make life shitty for everyone else. Um, some of these people are police officers. They're law enforcement. So, so uh, some of the songs we'll be playing today we'll be dealing with uh, police brutality so folks who can eloquently express that better than I so this is a song from a band called The Violators, they're a British punk band um, this is from the early 80s uh, and this is called Summer of 81 and
welcome back. That was The Violators with Summer of 81. Open up the show with a cover of The Clash's Know Your Rights. That was Pearl Jam. Uh, know Your Rights is a great song. And that was a nice cover I found. Anyway, moving onwards. So we got some news here. And the other day, uh, uh, I went to the DMV, uh, which has to, it doesn't have to happen, I guess. But while living in the state, you know, one has to, doesn't have to, but... Uh, have identification cards and whatnot. So anyway, I got my driver's license renewed, which might come as a shock to anyone who knows me, even remotely well, because I haven't driven in over 10 years. I have a long-standing uh, anger t- towards uh, the automobile industry, and I also feel like cars have been forced upon consumers and people in our, our country. We don't need more drivers, that's what I'm saying. We don't need more drivers and and if more um, money and energy and time had been put into public transportation and in bicycling, um, there wouldn't be the need for so many people to drive. And I think there's still not the need for people to drive. However, uh, the way the automobile industry has worked, it's they've made it so that and then it's a huge industry and it's bad for the environment uh the auto workers i know haven't been treated well there's a whole line long line and it's also just keeps people separate if you've if you ever hitchhiked and you uh you've been on the side of the road and you see all these cars passing by and see how many people are driving alone Ooh, that's it's it's that says something so anyway long story short got my driver's license renewed i only had to take the Wake 
Wake up all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to do is put it in our minds. Surely things will work out, they do it every time. Just let it be The world won't get no better We gotta change it Just you and me August 14th, 2015. Where has the year gone? Goodness, it's, uh, we're uh, over, we're like eight and a half months in, and it's been quite a year indeed. Uh, broadcasting here from the lovely Mutiny, uh, Mutiny Radio Station here on 21st and Florida in the Mission. And it's a sunny day out. It's been quite a week. We have got some good stories. Are they good? They're, they're depressing, I'm going to be honest. They're a little bit... Uh, unsettling. However, that's what the news is. So we wouldn't have it any other way. And maybe one day it will be. And occasionally we do have good stories. And I do promise you there is a positive news story. And there's things that going on in, in around the world that are very uplifting and inspiring and that we could learn from. So there'll be one of those stories at least, at the very least. And eventually maybe we'll get to the place where you know, most of the stories are good. Actually, we could probably do that as is. Just need to, like, maybe research a little bit more. It also would help if there was less violence in the world. And we wouldn't uh, have to report on it because it wouldn't exist. That's for another universe, I suppose. But, you know, this is the world that we live in. So that's great. Um, should I open up with a rant? I don't know what to rant about, really, besides the usual of what's going on. 
uh, the usual of what's going on and just, you know, going day to day and struggling to stay afloat as everyone is in their own way. And the folks don't really don't really talk about it. I know. Do I have my notebook? I hope I do, because I went to this awesome the lecture uh, teaching series um, uh, yesterday about uh, the closure of bathhouses in San Francisco, and it was really interesting and informative. And I had some general idea, but I wasn't really around. I wasn't in San Francisco, and I also really wasn't, uh, I was a kid at the time, so I wasn't here, and I was, you know, walking around on the playground having, uh, but I do feel like even though we aren't necessarily uh, maybe an adult when things are going on, there's still maybe an awareness of how people act, how adults act, and how actions that take place in other places um, end up informing our behaviors elsewhere. So, of course, in the 80s when there was, you know, the AIDS epidemic and how that affected folks, and there was a lot of homophobia, and there's, I guess, been homophobia for a very long time for various reasons. And so... I think it's just super important to understand history, and also it's still, you know, it's still ongoing. And there's a couple bathhouses or sex clubs here in San Francisco, but a lot of them closed down. So this this lecture was really awesome because it just talked about all the different kinds there were. There was quite a few. There were bathhouses and sex clubs, and there's a difference. Um, so with sex clubs, that means that there is no private rooms, and bathhouses means there are. So that's something that I learned. And just also learning about the history of the city. And of course, it was really like, wah, wah, was the, uh, the general theme when they'd say they'd have like a, they'd show a photo or a flyer for one of the bathhouses. And then they would show and the, and the address. And then they would show what it was now, which was almost always like a condo or in some cases like a law office. Uh, there was one called like Bulldog Baths and they changed it. So now it's like a dog bath, but it's still called like Bulldog baths it's just for dogs and not for humans so that was interesting uh i think just as a as a queer person it's awesome to know one's history and we talked last time about the whole of, oh, maybe i'll get into that too so they, they made a new stonewall movie and they totally like whitewashed it and the protagonist is like a white cis man because you know they're they're not gonna not gonna get into well uh, i'll get into it again but just this idea i mean part of it's like also hollywood and then also just like this like savior complex but then also a total disregard of of history especially when there are people who are still alive like miss major who's alive who was there you know and she was like punched out by the cops and she was there and she you know was quoted as saying uh yeah there were some you know gay boys there and they were across the street they were like the ones cheering on all the you know trans women of color and all the drag queens who are the ones who were getting abused by the cops and arrested by the cops and at one point uh folks who were like arrested like they kind of they made their way out of the paddy wagon and that was really awesome and the cops got scared and they like locked themselves in the bar oh that sounds right anyway but of course it wouldn't have had to happen if the cops hadn't been there in the first place that's the thing that's the thing. So I'm going to go through some of the notes that I took yesterday during this awesome lecture. And it was at the Gay and Lesbian uh, Historical Museum, which is on 18th Street in the Castro. And I believe the first Wednesday of the month, it's always free. And it's like a tiny museum. Unfortunately, it's pretty tiny, but it's still really cool. And I got a T-shirt that I'm wearing today. I'll take a photo of it. It's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's celebrating celebrating the riots that happened in uh, May, May 21st of 1979 when Dan White was not convicted of killing uh, Harvey Milk and George Moscone. So I'm going to read a little bit of a history here from, I was scribbling, you know, which is, uh, well, it's always interesting when you're in a uh, uh, lecture, I guess, and just wanting to like be present, I guess any situation. I know folks always like take photos and it can take you a little bit out of the moment if you want to like record it in a way for one's own memory. Uh, however, 
if I hadn't taken notes, I don't know. I, I mean, I could try going off memory, but it's nice to have these notes here. So they're saying that, and this was by uh, Buzz. Oh, I'll find his last name before the end of the show. I promise that. Uh, he he um, owned a few bathhouses, so he knows quite, quite the history. And he was saying it was really between... Um, overall, it was between May of 1983 and December 1984 that a lot of this happened. It happened within a really short period of time, and it's really crucially happened between March 1984 and December 1984, and uh, which is kind of I, not ironic, but just interesting. Because uh, I was born out, I was born in Oakland, and I was born uh, in the Bay Area, and then my family moved out to Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, in like 83, 84. So like right around this time, it's like family left, and then this happened. Not that, I, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, it's just interesting. I was like, oh, definitely was not here for this. So, uh, so the, oh, goodness, okay, penmanship, penmanship, am I right? So there's a lot of different things that were happening, and partially it's uh, the first cases of, you know, AIDS uh, discovered, and that was, like, in, in 1981. Um, but before then, uh, there, oh, wow. If you all could read my handwriting, this would make be so much easier. Also, if I could read my handwriting, this would be so much easier. There's a lot of information here. So in 19... They're talking about the history here. And this is great radio, isn't it? It's wonderful. Okay. Long story short, the first, like, some sex... Like, safe sex pamphlets came out by the Sisters of a Perpetual Indulgence in 1983. And going prior to that... Um, uh, okay. So... I can't really read my handwriting. That's what this is coming down to. So it's like I shouldn't have taken notes at all, pretty much. Long story short, I'll go from memory and see what I can uh, remember, uh, what I can. And that is, uh, so after George Moscone was killed, Diane Feinstein took over as mayor. And she was, like, not too big into the whole gay sex scene. So that could be a little bit problematic. You don't have to be into it. You can just like, maybe, like, allow it to happen. And what happened with a lot of the uh, with, with AIDS epidemic was, like, how do we respond to this? And... They, she ended up working with uh, the police force unbeknownst to the public. And it's, this came out a little bit later, but the police ended up going in to like, monitor. They'd go in, in plain clothes and kind of like spy on people and report what they were doing, which is pretty messed up when it's, like a, when it's a private place. And that was one big, big thing was that they somehow made it uh, legal for, uh, at, well, initially, before, before the AIDS epidemic happened, they made it you know, legal for people to have sex in, in private places and, you know, got you know of course it should be I, the idea of like the law even coming in in the first place is ridiculous and the overall arching theme is that Mervyn Silver, Silverman who was like the, the uh, director of public health he kind of was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and didn't really know what to do and he kind of couldn't really get anything done and there were folks who were urging for the bathhouses to close so there's a lot of pressure including Diane Feinstein and there are a lot of people urging not for the, for the bathhouses not to close because at the time they still weren't quite sure of what was happening and the bathhouses were also losing a lot of clientele and a lot of members, so they were kind of losing business anyway. And then, the, but the thing is that the law came in, and it ended up being that this judge, this white straight male judge, uh, ended up kind of ruling to close uh, these bathhouses. And even though that was not necessarily what the community wanted, and there was like two, there was like the Sentinel and the Bay Area Reporter, and they were, both papers were going back to back, um, arguing with whether or not this should happen. And they got like a, the Bay Area Reporter, like. Uh, posted a posted they wrote an article uh saying why you know why this shouldn't happen they like named all the traitors and all the people who were like they're in city hall the people who are kind of pushing for it were in city hall so in some way it was coming from uh the supervisors and people yeah people in, in city hall 
and not so much from doctors or physicians. And that's a thing when, when it came into the, the courtroom, kind of, all right, so when it came into the courtroom, there were not, people were like aware of it, but it's like the people who are making the decisions were not people who are actually actively attending the bathhouses. These were not the actual community members who were the ones making the decision. And that's a huge problem in any, in any regard, no matter what it's about, the fact that the people making the decisions are not the ones that it's affecting. And that also goes back to with ACT UP and all the people who are involved in actually making progress in terms of getting the word out and educating people. Those were the people in the community who were encouraging folks to find solutions and to understand exactly what was going on. So they talked a little about Randy Schultz, who was a journalist he wrote uh, and the band played on, and apparently he was anti-bathhouse, and someone had made a quip that it was because he had trouble getting laid. So that's up for debate as to whether or not that happened. And then also they were talking about what happened in New York versus what happened here. In New York, they had the closeted mayor, Ed Koch, and there were not many at all, at all, uh, openly gay folks in uh, politics in New York at the time, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong. And so in San Francisco, it's a little bit different because there were some here. However, they still had trouble kind of getting there. They were very much more, uh, I guess, conservative would be the word to use in terms of getting their agenda across. And uh, Larry Kramer, who was in was in New York, was uh, trying to get money to raise, uh, trying to raise money to get a hotline so folks could call and like find out about AIDS and just as much information as possible. And he ended up having to go to like really closeted wealthy folks. Uh, to get the money. There wasn't, it was just a constant struggle to get uh, support. And out here in San Francisco, at least, there were folks who were more open about it. Um, but a lot of other places were looking to San Francisco to see how they were handling it and did not handle it uh, terribly well. So yeah, the Sentinel was a, was a newspaper, a gay newspaper that wanted to keep the, the bathhouses open and the BAR, which is still around, wanted to close it. So that is something else. It's another uh, another fact there and uh so that yeah so yeah in may diane feinstein ordered the police to to go into the bathhouses which we spoke about briefly and in july there was a a newspaper called uh coming up which was a gay newspaper and they they talked about the investigative tours that were going on and yeah this all happened within like a few months as i mentioned before this all happened within a few month period and uh, it just, at the end of the day, like a judge kind of ruling on what's happening. And I'm sure that still happens. And, uh, so there was some talk about bathhouses opening up again in the city, which would be great. Uh, I was curious to ask, uh, cause some of them were like the, the sutra baths were for everybody and that's awesome. And I wonder, and there definitely was this idea also, uh, that a lot of it was just geared towards the um, the closing of it was more geared towards because it was places where men had sex, you know, and it was just because they happened to be gay or bisexual. I didn't use the word bisexual, but that's the that's the the idea is men who have sex with men, and that's where a lot of the criminalization kind of aspect. Yes, I, I guess it feels like it's a criminal. You know, if you're having cops coming in, there's a criminalization aspect to that, and lack of privacy aspect coming into that. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to a lot to think about, and in terms of if they had been open for women as well, I'm curious as to what the response would have been and, and who knows. So it was, yeah, it was a lot, uh, it was a really cool, a really cool presentation and I recommend checking out the museum and as I have more info, I'll, I'll let folks know, but, uh, yeah, it was very cool. And there also were a lot of people there who were, it was like, there was a 45 minute, uh, PowerPoint presentation 
and that was cool. And then there are a lot of folks in the audience who were around um, when it was all happening, so they were able to like name fo- people in the photos, and you know, spat out a few facts and addresses, and talk about experiences they'd had at various uh, bathhouses. And like Rudolf Nureyev was mentioned, and how he wanted a very fancy mattress at, when he went to one of them. So it was very cool to be part of that, and I speak about this all the time. How about being a member of a community that's marginalized and in a way does not necessarily know our history in some ways and part of that's because it's been erased from us it's we've been lied about uh folks have been killed in various ways uh and then with losing so many folks during the epidemic that's a huge part of history those people who would have been around now to tell their stories and just having so many people who have who have gone there's like this empty hole and we have to end up you know finding ways to to talk about it and so i'm always very happy to meet elders and not even elders however word you want to you want to use to identify folks, but people who are around then to actually talk about what happened. That also brings me up to another article that someone posted, and I won't really go into it too much, but I'll talk about it. It's like Polari, which is this language that British men used to use like back in the day, um, back when um, homosexuality was like criminalized. And it just was, and apparently Bona Drag, which is the name of a Morrissey album, that means something. Uh, I forget. But it's uh, just language that people, people people just now, I guess the article mentioned it's like now endangered, but people used to use it to communicate. And I think that's something I had no idea about at all. And I think about so many other languages that have been lost and histories that have been lost because people haven't been able to record it. And then also it's, um, it seems like an ac- extra added thing to do is uh, to have to, oh yeah, this thing, this this thing happened to me and then I better record it. And now I feel like we're on the opposite end of it where everyone's recording everything, including a lot of things that aren't really that important. Uh, when everyone has, ac- not everyone, but like so many people have access to social media and it's like, this is what I had for dinner. I'm going to go see this movie. This is what I thought of it. Or like, these are my feet. And it's like, that's all great, but do we really need this much? And it's like this kind of over inundation over, over um, just so much over inundated, just so much, there's so much, and a lot of it's like, you know, no, no, no disrespect to anyone, but I mean, I feel like there's things that I should say that are really important that even I don't, I don't post, and I feel like there should maybe be more, a little bit more. People should maybe hold back a little bit more. Like, I'm definitely up for folks sharing their emotions. That, that to me, uh, I know some folks don't like it, but I'm all for people saying, oh, I'm having a rough day, because I feel like in that way, at least it's, first of all, it's honest and it's authentic, and it's also asking for help and reaching out, and that's great. When it's like this kind of like minute, like, and then da 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 da, and then da 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 da. And it's just so like empty. And then I'm like, why am I even reading this? So part of it's like my own fault for staying online so much. I feel like it can be addictive. Uh, however, I, I would encourage folks to say really uh, honest, truthful things that are really important and, and or inspiring and or seek a response instead of just really silly, dumb shit. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I guess maybe it balances things out because then I also have, you know, a lot of friends who post news stories and I'm one of them I'm one of those guys where it's like oh this is that this is what's happening and it's like oh my goodness that's heavy that's really intense but it's happening so I feel to not share it would be a crime if something's happening and you don't you know educate other folks to say oh this is this is happening especially if the news outlets are not going to report it or they're going to report a very biased version of the events it's inc- it's incredibly crucial to get the word out and then to also have dialogue and that's what was happening uh, a little bit yesterday and I made the mistake of it's not a mistake but I don't necessarily want to engage and I, I don't really tend to get into fights too much on Facebook mostly because I try to stay off it but I'm on it and 
a lot of it, it's like part of it, you can only express so much via tone and also people end up misreading each other and also sometimes people come in looking for a fight and I, I don't come in looking for a fight but I am a pretty angry person just based on the knowledge of what's going on in the world and what has been going on in the world and the systems that are in place and the fact that people in positions of authority still murder people that's pretty fucked up and to not be able to talk about that I feel is it would be just supporting the systems that are in place and then again, even talking about it, I feel like I'm a coward in a way because that's, you know, maybe that gets a conversation going. But at the end of the day, it's really not as brave as other actions could be. So with that, um, we're going to get into some stories. And there's a there's a story that's sad uh, on multiple levels. And one is that uh, Sesame Street, which is a great show. <laughs> I don't know why I need to even, you know, praise it because everyone knows Sesame Street is moving to HBO. And that's kind of depressing for a lot of reasons. One in that um, not everyone has access to HBO, and especially with children, you would want uh, one would want uh, their kids to have access to learning and all those good things. And even I mean I haven't watched it recently, but I've heard there was a dumbing down of it, like maybe in the '90s. Uh, I wasn't really into Elmo. He kind of came around right after. I I vaguely remember maybe it was Telly. I remember my father hated Telly, and I was like, yeah, I'm not too fond of him either. Anyway, uh, this idea that I guess what kids have, what the, in terms of like understanding and having characters that kids can relate to, and just all, overall having an educational program, the very least should be free, right? If you're going to, like, at the very least it should be available and accessible to absolutely everyone, and it's kind of messed up that it's going to be limited to who can receive it. So here's the article, and this article comes from Shadow and Act on Cinema of the African Diaspora. Uh, Sesame Street is moving to HBO for the next five seasons, and this is by uh, Tambe A. Ebenson. Obenson. Okay. Uh, an odd, unexpected move on both sides. The long-running Emmy Award-winning TV series that many of us grew up with, Sesame Street and HBO, today announced a new partnership that will see the next five seasons of the iconic series air on HBO and its multiplex channels, HBO Go, HBO On Demand, and the new internet-only SVOD service HBO Now. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, as a key part of the deal, Sesame will be able to produce almost twice as much new content as previous seasons. Well, that's good. And for the first time ever, make the show available free of charge to PBS. Oh, and its member stations after a nine-month window. All right, see, I didn't even read that part, so that's great. All right, reading on. Our new partnership with HBO uh, represents a true winning public-private partnership model, said Jeffrey D. Dunn, Sesame Workshop CEO. It provides Sesame Workshop with the critical funding it needs to be able to continue production of Sesame Street and secure its nonprofit mission of helping kids grow smarter, stronger, and kinder. It gives HBO exclusive pay cable and SVOD access to the nation's most important and historic educational programming, and it allows Sesame Street to continue to air on PBS and reach all children as it has for the past 45 years. Okay, that's good. I jumped to a conclusion, as I often do. Uh, in addition uh, to the next five seasons of Sesame Street, Sesame Workshop will produce a Sesame Street Muppet spin-off series, as well as develop a new original educational series for children. HBO has also licensed, licensed over 150 library episodes of Sesame Street. The new episodes will begin airing as early as late fall 2015, and HBO will be the exclusive first-run subscription television distribution partner for Sesame Street and any new series created by Sesame Workshop. 
All new series will also be made available to PBS and its member stations, but only after they've ha- already aired on HBO. Um, moving on, uh, in addition to Sesame Street, HBO will also license approximately 50 past episodes of the two acclaimed children's series Pinky Dinky Doo, I am not familiar, an animated series for preschoolers that focuses on early literacy and The Electric Company, ah, oh, yes, which was rebooted in 2009 from Sesame Workshop. All right, so that's that's okay. That's good. I had this is one of these situations where you know it's good to it's good to uh, check in with XA, everything that's really happening. And I saw the headline, and my first instinct was, oh, they're moving to HBO, and therefore people with PBS will not be able to watch it. I mean, I guess it's good that they're getting funding. Uh, that's great, actually, that they're getting funding, and the fact that it'll be available online, and of course, moving along. Uh, yeah, of course people are going to be watching online, so it makes sense to have it available that way. So it's not overall. See, there's a positive story. More Sesame Street available to people. So overall, that's good. Haha, started off on the right foot. Uh, joining us later will be Lizette Alvarez. Uh, and Lizette does a lot of amazing work. Met, met Liz recently. Um, and she's an organizational leader uh, who delivers strong financial cost-effective uh, performance while creating a positive societal impact on the communities and organizations that she serves. And that's coming directly from her website, and which is uh, lizettealvarez.com. So she'll be coming in later today. And uh, before then, we're going to play some music, and we're going to have some more stories, too. So let's see. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to start off with this song called Toes by Glass Animals. And then we'll be back. Put your hate in 
We opened up the show with Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes with Wake Up Everybody. Now going into, ugh, all right. So we're going to read a couple stories here about what's happening with, oh, goodness. Okay, so this is from RT.com. Title of this story, Chelsea Manning faces indefinite solitary confinement, lawyer says. We all know Chelsea Manning, uh, whistleblower. All right, whistleblower Chelsea Manning, who is serving a 35-year sentence for leaking thousands of classified documents to WikiLeaks, faces indefinite solitary confinement after being charged with possessing prohibited materials in prison, according to her lawyer. Prison officials have brought four charges against Manning, including disorderly conduct, possession of prohibited property, misusing medicine, and being disrespectful. According to a document posted on FreeChelsea.com, a Chelsea Manning support group website, specifically the charges involve four incidents. The disorderly conduct charge stems from an incident when she allegedly swept some food onto the floor and asked to speak to her lawyer when confronted by a guard. She is also accused of having books and magazines in her cell. I wish my the look on my face could transfer over the radio waves. And being in possession of a tube of toothpaste past its expiration date. And you wonder why I want to abolish all fucking prisons. All right. Um, Manning's American Civil Liberties Union lawyer, Chase uh, Strangio, uh, told BuzzFeed that he has yet to see the documents detailing the charges, but has been told the punishment could include indefinite solitary confinement. Given the materials that were confiscated, it is concerning that the military and Leavenworth Prison might be taking action for the purpose of chilling Chelsea's speech, or even with the goal of silencing her altogether by placing her in solitary, uh, Strangio told BuzzFeed. Hopefully with public scrutiny, the prison will respond by dismissing these charges and ensuring that she is not unfairly targeted based on her activism, her identity, and her pending lawsuit. An Army spokesman did not respond to media requests to examine the charging documents, nor would he comment on them. Manning was convicted of violations under the Espionage Act and other offenses. In July 2013, after leaking thousands of classified documents to WikiLeaks, 
She is currently serving a 35-year prison sentence at the United States Disciplinary Barracks in Fort Leavenworth, Texas, uh, Texas, Kansas, Kansas. Uh, Manning is due to appear at a prison hearing concerning the charges with military officials on August 18th. Uh, supporters of Manning, led by Evan Greer of the Fight for the Future Advocacy Group, have started a petition to raise awareness of the new charges and to request that the hearing be made open to the public. And of course, if you know the whole history of the whole Chelsea Manning case, she uh, shared a video of civilians being murdered. And the person who murdered the civilians, they're not in jail. The person who ordered the murder of the civilians, they're not in jail. Yet the whistleblower is. So that's pretty fucked up. Going to some more things that are fucked up. Uh, this uh, comes from out of Detroit uh, from uh, Milva.com. Uh, killing of transgender woman in Detroit red light district opens dialogue. And we start off the year with many trans women of color being murdered. And this unfortunately has continued. And this is story comes out of Detroit. <sighs> All right. Detroit, Michigan. Worlds converge on the sidewalks, parking lots, and grassy expanses of Detroit's 300-acre Palmer Park. Palmer Park, while serene and innocent on nice summer days, has a history of violence and crime. Statistics available on the city's website show there had been at least 114 crimes committed at or near the park in 2015 as of Wednesday. The offenses include assaults, theft, robbery, robbery, and last weekend, the homicide of Amber Monroe, a 20-year-old transgender woman who was fatally shot. <sighs> the bodies of at least two transgender women and a gay man have been found at the park since no November 2013. Two transgender women, one of them was Monroe in a, sep in a separate incident, were shot at the park in August 2014. Detroit Police Chief James Craig said it hasn't been determined if any of the cases were hate crimes. <sighs> Equality Michigan, an LGBT advocacy organization that tracks transgender homicides, says Monroe is the 12th of 13 transgender women killed this year in the U.S. More than 100 people, lesbians, gay men, transgender men and women, and their allies gathered beneath a tent on the park's south end Wednesday for a town hall-style meeting set up by the Detroit Police Department. Craig, who's worked with LGBT residents as the police chief of Portland, Maine, and in Cincinnati, said the meeting was planned for weeks, that the timing, four days after Monroe's slaying, was only coincidental. Police held a similar meeting targeting the LGBT community uh, over a year ago. Attendance at that meeting was low, the chief said. Immediately to the west of Palmer Park is the Detroit Golf Club, lined with some of Detroit's most decadent mansions. The Detroit Police Department's 12th Precinct and more luxurious Palmer Woods neighborhood homes lie to the north. Head east past busy Woodward and you'll find blighted neighborhoods and an anarchist commune, Firewood University, whose members squat in abandoned homes. On the south end of Palmer Park is an unofficial red light district. There are sex workers slinking along the streets at night between the border of Detroit and Highland Park, the city just south of McNichols, Six Mile. A couple hundred yards from the park are an adult bookstore and deja vu strip club. When night falls, and often earlier, a seedier side of Detroit emerges. There is trans prostitution, gay prostitution, um, biological women, this is their qu quote, uh, it's all up here every night says uh, Jaleesa Ahad, uh, 
a transgender woman who knew Monroe and attended Wednesday's meeting. And I'm sorry, that's uh, Julissa Abad. The transgender work in Woodward, the r and she says the real women uh, work, uh, John R. and the men work Covington up and down here. I don't know what has made this the central area for that, but that is unfortunately what it has become. And just a note, uh, the idea of I, referring to, I mean, w every, if you're a woman, you're a woman. Uh, the idea of a real, anyway, that's their quote. Okay. Abad said that she lived near the park for nearly three years, but moved to the west side of Detroit about a year ago because her neighborhood was not a safe environment. I get it. There's a lot of drugs and prostitution in the area, she said. But the assumption that all trans women come here for illegal purposes is wrong. She says it's a meeting place for the city's LGBT population. Abad complained of harassment by Highland Park police, who said, who she said are quick to give tickets for prostitution, marijuana possession, marijuana possession, or an open bottle of liquor, but seem to have less concern if you get beat up or thrown out of a moving vehicle or murdered. Another community member complained that Highland Park police weren't represented at the meeting. Craig said he would reach out to them to get them involved in the community relations effort. There's a lot of stereotyping still that originally comes from the police, said one of the several residents who addressed the panel, including Craig. LGBT advocates and U.S. Attorney Barbara McQuaid, I have seen the police call over the loudspeaker, call these girls men, racial slurs, get off the street. It's the, it's the tone that you guys get. If the dope boys can hear you screaming over the loudspeaker, calling these girls trannies, drag queens, do you think they're not going to come out and rob them? Do you think they're not going to come out and rob them? You guys are a reflection of the way they res of the way they respect. On the contrary, Rebecca O'Hara says Detroit police handled the July 14th homicide of her son Ashton O'Hara, who who lives. Okay, so I'm just going to get into the fucking language here. Uh, this person who was murdered was a woman, transgender woman. Don't call her a son. Anyway, just call them her child. Okay. Uh, with the utmost dignity. They have been so respectful in asking what we chose for Ashton to be identified as, male or female, O'Hara said. I have never heard or seen anything like it in my life. I was amazed. Ashton O'Hara's suspected killer, 37-year-old Larry B. Golding, was arrested and is facing first-degree murder trial set to begin September 24th. The Detroit Police Department's LGBT liaison, Danielle Woods, let the crowd know she is available to discuss LGBT concerns and with the chief, and with the chief announced a community LGBT advisory board expected to form by September. Craig says, although gender identity or sexual preference isn't information generally collected from crime victims, the department does flag cases in which the victim is known to be LGBT. The department has noted 15 such cases this year and seven in 2014. I know that there are many more than that because I also know there are many that won't report crimes in the LGBT community, the Detroit police chief said. We want to change that. We know that the streets talk and we, we're only getting... We're only going to get information if we have relationships, Craig said. As you heard tonight, many members from the community don't always feel comfortable reporting crimes. We want to have the kind of relationship where people don't fear the police. Well, that can happen if police stop calling people names. And also, if sex work is legalized, as well as cannabis. <sighs> okay. So, yes. All right. So... Um, moving on, we're going to take a uh, music break and get into some more, more news. And this song uh, is a beautiful song. 
uh, comes from a friend uh, of ours and a former guest on the show, Monica McIntyre, who's based a musician based out in New Orleans, and she's incredible. And she wrote the song uh, "Somebody Call My Name" uh, for Sandra Bland. And uh, I'm gonna play that, and then we'll be back with uh, some more, some more stories, and uh, definitely a positive one coming up, uh, as promised. And then we'll be joined by our guest. So stay tuned. Dedicate this to Sandra Bland and our collective need for healing.
Monica McIntyre with uh, call my name. Okay, so uh, and that was somebody call my name was the full title of that song. And so coming back in, we've got a couple of stories, and also there's a couple events coming up. Get into that. Uh, so tonight uh, in Oakland at 27th and MLK, there's a there's going to be a vigil. Uh, another person was murdered by the Oakland Police Department uh, on Wednesday, and there's going to be a vigil. Um, 27th and MLK, that's tonight at 6 p.m. in Oakland, and also um, City Hall here in San Francisco, there's going to be a a catwalk action, um, not against, but necessarily, it's kind of to involve City Hall and and Edley as the uh, elections are coming up, and this will be taking place at Civic Center Plaza Monday, this upcoming Monday at 5.30 p.m., and uh, there will be a, a cakewalk, a literal cakewalk, bringing cakes, and then also talking about the issues, and hopefully some other folks. Uh, we invited Ed Lee. Will he show up? We don't know. He's the mayor. That would be nice if he were to show up. So uh, Amy Farrowweiss, who is running for mayor, is the one who has organized this, and hopefully we'll get a lot of uh, good folks there and some good dialogue going on. So uh, this first story comes from Mother Jones. Read a little bit of this and then go into the next positive story. Uh, well, this is actually kind of positive. Uh, yeah, yeah. If, if one wants to, th- to think about this idea of positive news being that we're hopefully preventing bad things from happening or trying to deal with the fact that the systems are unjust and criminals walk free. And by the criminals, I mean law enforcement people who murder people. Uh, This is a step in the right direction. This comes from Mother Jones. California becomes first state to ban grand juries in police shooting cases. Uh, The refusal to indict, as occurred in Ferguson and other communities of color, has fostered an atmosphere of suspicion that threatens to compromise our justice system. And this is written by Allie Gross. California this week became the first state to ban the use of secret grand juries when deciding whether to indict police officers in cases of deadly force. The bill, signed by Governor Jerry Brown on Tuesday, was a response to the unrest that followed the grand jury decisions in Ferguson, Missouri, and in Staten Island, New York, not to indict the officers who killed Michael Brown and Eric Garner. The use of the criminal grand jury process and the refusal to indict as occurred in Ferguson and other communities of color has fostered an atmosphere of suspicion that threatens to compromise our justice system. State Senator Holly Mitchell, Democrat Los Angeles, who authored the bill, said in a statement, The issue of accountability in the criminal justice system, especially when a police shooting takes place, has been at the center of many of the protests that have occurred across the country in the past year. That's partly because the grand jury process is secret and court records associated with it are sealed. In Ferguson, prosecuting attorney Robert McCulloch decided to release the grand jury documents to squelch accusations of bias. The Department of Justice ultimately released its own investigation, agreeing with the grand jury's decision not to indict Darren Wilson, the police officer who shot Brown. 
The grand jury proceedings are kept secret in order to protect witnesses, who some say wouldn't come forward if the documents were subject to open record. However, critics contend that the secrecy surrounding grand juries only protects the police and does nothing to foster justice. Following the death of Eric Garner last summer and the grand jury decision not to indict Daniel Pantelio, the, and the NYPD officer responsible for his death, the New York chapter of the ACLU began an ongoing battle to make public the minutes and records of what, ha- what transpired in the grand jury. The ACLU's request for the records was rejected by a Staten Island judge in March, and the group's May appeal was again rejected last month. When a grand jury makes a decision about whether or not to indict an officer in killing of a New Yorker, the public has a right to know why. Donna Lieberman, executive director of the New York Civil Liberties Union, said in a statement, There is a deep and well-founded suspicion of the criminal justice system, partly because no one has been accountable for the death of Eric Garner, and the community doesn't know why. The group plans to appeal the decision again. The new California law leaves it up to the prosecutor to decide whether to charge a police officer with using deadly force, a charge that many hope will lead to more transparency and accountability. Last fall, Bowling Green State University criminologists released research showing that between 2004 and 2011, only 41 police officers were charged with murder or manslaughter for on-duty killings. During that same seven-year period, however, the FBI classified 2,718 police killings as justifiable homicides. All right, it's 12.59, and that's where I lost it. I lose it every time on this news program when I read the news, and it's like, holy shit. Fuck. All right. It's very rare that an officer gets charged with a homicide offense resulting from their on-duty conduct, even though people are killed on a fairly regular basis. Philip Stinson, an an assistant professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green, who received a federal grant to study arrests of police officers, told the Wall Street Journal... In addition to the grand jury bill, Brown signed a measure that ensures the right of civilians to record or photograph the police in public areas. In the past, some civilians who have done so have been arrested or told to stop for obstructing justice. With the stroke of a pen, Governor Brown reinforces our First Amendment right and ensures transparency, accountability, and justice for all Californians, State Senator Ricardo Lara, a Democrat Bell Gardens, the author of the bill, said in a statement. At a time when cell phone and video footage is helping steer important national civil rights conversations, passage of the Right to Record Act sets an example for the rest of the nation to follow. So, I am pretty skeptical of the whole quote-unquote justice system. However, anything to kind of move it along or push it in the right direction, I am all for. And again, those statistics, woof, like what's actually reported. And it's, there's a, the quote, the saying, I'm, the idea behind this this idea is that you know history is told by the murderers the thing is you can people can argue about what happened and at the end of the day if people are murdered they do not get a chance to tell their side of the story so if of course someone who murders someone is going to spin it in their in a certain direction <sighs> okay Moving on, I promised there'd be... A, well, okay, so there there was some positive. Okay, that's positive. That's positive that things are moving in the right direction. Although, it shouldn't, I mean, it's like these behaviors shouldn't even happen in the first place. So in a way, it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on it. It's like, well, maybe if these bad things happen, you know, people will actually be caught. And in some way, perhaps that will, if, you know, folks realize that they're... But the behavior is so unacceptable, it's like... Okay, anyway. Can't solve everything right now. Okay, so... But people should at least know how to act. 
that's very least. Okay, so uh, this is, uh, I'm a prison abolitionist. I believe we can live in a world without prisons. And unfortunately, in our country, in our culture, it's very much based on prisons and sending people to prisons. And even here in San Francisco, there's still debate. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, debate in terms of like, oh, we should lose extra money. And instead of actually feeding people or housing people, they want to somehow build a prison, which is fucked, and hire more cops, which is unnecessary. So Sweden, I've never been to Sweden but here's something that's positive that's coming out of Sweden. How Sweden brilliantly ended its addiction to prison. And this comes from ATTN.com. Uh, While the UK, US, and Australia all find themselves with a glut of overcrowded prisons and an increasing number of inmates, Sweden boasts a drop in incarceration rates so great it has allowed them to shutter several of their oldest prisons altogether. Why? It may be due to Sweden's rehabilitative ethos on the idea of prison itself, ethos. Our role is not to punish, Director General of Sweden's Prison and Probation Service, Nils Oberg, said in 2014 interview with The Guardian. The punishment is the prison sentence. Prisoners have been deprived of their freedom. Some people have to be incarcerated, but it has to be a goal to get them back out into society in better shape than they were when they came in. This translates to both open and closed prisons, uh, offering mental health and substance abuse treatment, access to both basic and advanced education, and the opportunity to work with pay. Imagine that. A 2013 Atlantic article by Doran Larson describes even the highest security Swedish prisons as having common areas with table tennis, pool tables, steel darts, and aquariums. There are often dorm room-like cells, complete with real beds and private bathrooms, access to computers, televisions, and cell phones, and kitchens where inmates are expected to cook their own meals, cook their own food, and eat meals with other inmates and their guests. Prisoners are also afforded certain privileges, the ability to see and spend time with family, wear their own clothes, and take supervised trips to the grocery store. Perhaps the most striking feature of this rehabilitative model is the role of Swedish correctional officers. Many are former lawyers, social workers, and mental health professionals who act as both security and support in an effort to create a therapeutic culture between staff and offenders. The officers are expected to encourage prisoners to advance education and skills training. They're also offering behavioral intervention. In a 2014 Langford Trust speech, Oberg likened the officers to the role models our inmates have never had in their lives. Since the vast majority of prisoners, both here and in Sweden, will someday be released, Sweden's rehabilitative stance is not only good for the prisoner, um, but is also good for the community. Sweden currently boasts one of the world's lowest incarceration rates, a 30 to 40% recidivism rate, nearly half of what the U.S. sees, according to 2014 figures from the U.S. Bureau of Justice Statistics, and prison and probation admission figures that have dropped by 6% since 2011. According to the number, Sweden's penal uh, ideology of staff-prisoner relations, rehabilitation, and second chances is working, but it is not without a cost. Sweden spends, on average, $91,000 per year per prisoner. In 2010, the Vera Institute of Justice found that, on average, America spends $31,286. 
In 2012, Sweden's prison population was 4,852 out of a total population of 9.5 million. In the U.S., around 2.2 million people are incarcerated. 2.2 million people are incarcerated out of a population of 318.9 million people. Sweden's diminishing incarceration numbers are also due to other factors. Politicians must constitutionally abide by a hands-off approach when it comes to the running of prisons, which ensures that prison and probation policy won't be impulsively swayed by public opinion. Since the mid-1970s, Sweden's penal law has also been geared towards reducing the use of prison sentences through the use of fines, electronic monitoring, and probation. In 2011, the country's Supreme Court issued new criteria for drug trafficking convictions, resulting in less severe sentencing for more minor crimes. It has to do with whether you decide to use prison as your first option or as a last resort and what you want your probation system to achieve, said Oberg. There is, in my opinion, almost always potential for change. Wow. See, that's inspiring. And again, of course, some folks want to say, oh, well, it's so expensive. And uh, still, I think the main key there, I mean, even without the whole, without the pool tables and the darts and the aquariums and all that, the idea of having the people who work within the prisons are people who were lawyers, who were social workers, and were folks who actually are working with the people to be mentors, and the idea that you want people to, of course, better themselves and to learn and to be educated and actually get paid for work. And there's a story I won't get into, but there's a lot of fires that are happening. There's some in Alaska and there's some in, in Oregon and a lot of the folks in Lake County here in California and a lot of the folks being brought in are people in prison who are getting paid like a dollar a day to fight wildfires. And so this idea that people are actually would actually be, get paid while they're in prison, of course, you know, to do work. Uh, imagine that 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 would quite help a bit so i'm gonna play a song and then we'll get back into some more stories and i did have um the name of the person who gave the speech uh the speech the lecture at the glbt history museum and his name is buzz benson that's b-e-n-s-e and a bit as a history of him he moved to san francisco in 1979 and lived there throughout the plague years and in 1986 he opened the sex club 890 Folsom. And he's also the founder and owner of Eros, which is a sex club that's still around. Uh, so, yeah. So, playing some music, and we'll be back very shortly. And we'll have our guest joining us in a bit. And, yeah. So, I'm going to play a song by one of my favorite artists. This is Greg Dooley from the Afghan Wings and Twilight Singers. I'm a big fan of his. And this was from a concert he did in Baltimore in 2011. Uh, song off their the Afghan Wings 1960, album called 1965. I was going to say, then their 1965 album, but that's the year they were born, or a couple of them were born in 1965. And this song is, is called Crazy, and this is a nice a nice live version of it for, for folks who haven't heard it before. All right, we'll be back with some more news. Oh, oh, oh. 
A little bit of smoke in the sky It's late in the evening And the end of the summer burns upon your skin It's never too late to cry Sweet with strangers Show you things that you never see, then I'll take you home. Far below the city burns. They'll come as your friend. Then they'll walk about all the rats in the bar. Come closer and they disarm. They'll ask you to sit in the front of their car. Cold-blooded for some life. I remember the day I wrote this song. Just give me the word and I will be 
Greg Dooley live in Baltimore. That was from October of 2010. October 23rd, 2010. Uh, so our guest, uh, Lizette Alvarez, will be coming in very shortly. And in the meantime, I'll just talk a little bit about things that are coming up in the near future. Uh, the first Wednesday of the month. That's that's a bit that's a bit of a long time, but it's coming up soonish. It'll come up soon. Is the LGBT mixer at Stageworks? Uh, I co-host with Sean Geary uh, the Endgame's uh, LGBT improv jam, and it's for folks who have never done improv before or folks who do it a lot. And we like to give uh, LGBTQ-identified folks a safe place to play and do improv and have an alternative of a place to congregate instead of just meeting at a bar, which is all well and good, but sometimes it's nice to have other places to meet. So that takes place the first Wednesday of the month, 7 p.m. at Stageworks, which is at 446 Valencia between 15th and 16th. Here at Mutiny Radio, there's always a lot of things happening. I'll plug the show. I always forget to plug the show. So we're having a great show here on Saturday, August 22nd, from 8 to 10 p.m. Uh, we've got some amazing performers. Uh, Blackberry Singer will be here. Baruch Porras Hernandez will be here. Jesus, you better work. Fuentes will be here. Felix Lee will be here. And many people more to be announced. There will be food. I know a lot of places usually have, like, drinks and stuff. And I'm going to just get a lot of food because... Everyone always needs food. Not everyone drinks, but people always eat. So there'll be a lot of food here. It'll be donation-based only, uh, so no one will be turned away for lack of funds. Hopefully, we're also going to be able to like raise some money um, for the studio, which would be great, because Mutiny really could sure use it. So again, that is Saturday, August 22nd at 8 p.m. here. It's the, f- the first annual weeklies awards i don't know if i I don't i don't really dig the idea of awards uh because i feel like it promotes competition and everyone does good work and there's enough space for everyone i don't necessarily really like the idea of competition at all but i thought it'd be nice to have an award show in terms of celebrating work that good folks have done and also roasting those in power because they definitely deserve to be roasted so that's again saturday august 22nd at 
8 p.m. And again, our guests will be coming in uh, momentarily, so that's great news. And yeah, what else? San Francisco got the election season coming up in November. More shows. Uh, I'm on an improv team called The Weege. Uh, we perform most Wednesdays at the Herald Night at Endgames, also at Stageworks, 446 Valencia, so that is good. There's a mic that happens, uh, the Queer Open Mic, San Francisco Queer Open Mic, which is the fourth, third? Fourth. Uh, Friday of the month at Modern Times Bookstore on 24th Street, and that's always a great time. Sign-ups uh, begin at 7. The show starts at 7.30, and that's always an awesome space. Uh, Tuesdays at 6 o'clock at Perch Coffee House at 440 Grand in Oakland. It's the Spectrum Queer Media Open Mic, which is an amazing place, and that's every Tuesday. Sign-ups start around 6. The show begins a little bit after 6.30, and that's also opened for music, spoken word, comedy, poetry, dance, whatever you want to do. It's an awesome space, and I highly recommend folks check it out. My friend Dana hosts karaoke at OMG. That's Thursday night starting around 8 p.m., and OMG is on 6th Street uh, a few blocks down from Market. And that's a really good time. Dana hosts a great karaoke night, so check that out. Go to, like, OMG Karaoke with Dana. Find that on Facebook. That's really cool. There's a lot of great events happening all the time here. All the time. And uh, that's one thing. I feel like if I had a superpower, it would be I would clone myself <laughs> just because there's so many different events I'd like to go to, and to be able to attend everything would be wonderful. Uh, so that maybe, it's, maybe it's a waste of a superpower, and I could just make all the weapons disappear. That would be nice. Or turn weapons into food, maybe? Turn guns into, like, sandwiches. And so when law enforcement goes out to harass homeless folks, they can bring them sandwiches instead of using their weapons to intimidate them. That would be a good superpower. That would be a pretty great superpower, I think. All right, we want to play another song here while uh, we wait for our guests to come in. And that's great. Uh, I feel... Uh, we covered quite a few things today on the news. We didn't get to any cannabis stories. I'm sure it's probably been legalized somewhere. I heard there was uh, someone who was like going to get life or was sentenced to like life in prison who has been released. I forget where that was exactly, but uh, it's nice to know that things are moving in a positive direction and more folks are being released uh, because no one should be in jail for uh, smoking a plant for having medicine. That's not a criminal offense in my book and in a lot of people's books. So I think that's that's pretty good. So yeah, there is positive things uh, that are happening. I was going to play a song by Cheap Trick I heard the other day called California Man. And the lyrics, oh, I mean, it's a good rock song for sure, but then I'm like, ugh. And that's the thing. It's like I feel uh, I get offended. I don't, people sometimes may, might think I get offended easily, and it's really just like, well, a lot of things are offensive. Like maybe it's not me being sensitive, but just a lot of the ideas and messages out there are like, Eh, not great for human consumption and especially if they're being told by the same kind of the same narrative the same and i again i keep on saying straight straight says white man and some of my best friends are straight says white man some of my family members are straight says white men you know it's more just like this kind of when the dialogue comes out sometimes it ends up being misogynist a lot of the time or just very status oriented and it's like that's a little bit uncomfortable so i'd rather have messages out there that don't necessarily reinforce the the patriarchy in a way and I do like the song that's called California Man. That's pretty cool. We can listen to it a little bit, and maybe I'll make some comments on it. We'll see. I'll uh, I'll have it on the background. That way, that's a good compromise, I think. And that also involves me not continuing to speak. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. So yeah, I heard it on The Current, which is a great station. Uh, out of Minneapolis, and they play a lot of good music. And I heard the song. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then any mention of California, of course, is always nice. If, you know, you live here in California and we're suffering from a drought 
And it's also good to remember the finer things that we can be proud of, like a song by Cheap Trick called California Man. So let's listen a little bit and see what they say. He's talking about rocking her so bad, and I don't, I don't quite, uh, I don't quite agree with that. So our guest is coming in here, so I'll continue the song, and we'll get back in a moment. Welcome back. We are joined by our guest, Lizette Alvarez. We're so lucky to have you here. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Roman. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really oh. excited. Yeah, me too. So please uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Lizette Alvarez, and uh, I was introduced to Roman by another uh, community activist here in the Bay Area uh, by George. And uh, I'm a researcher. Uh, I've been a researcher in social sciences for the past uh, 15 plus years. And I started my career down in Southern California at USC at the Institute for Health Prevention. And so my specialties are in cultural competency, uh, sexual health care, uh, women's health care, and uh, cost efficiency at the moment. Oh, excellent. Those yeah. are all really important things. Exactly, exactly. And so that all of that uh, expertise or experience brings me to do a lot of community activism. And so originally being from Los Angeles, born and raised, 
Um, I've been here in the Bay Area for the past 15 years and I've worked with UCSF as well, doing a lot of uh, global health and cultural competency and queer health. Um, however, community activism-wise, I felt a bit left out in Los Angeles once I moved here to the Bay, and I've done uh, more community stuff here in the Bay. So uh, one of the projects that I'm working on is the Tenderloin um, Artist Collective oh, yes, at yes. the moment uh, with Glide and um, other um, community organizers here in the Bay Area. So uh, what that entails is that it there's a lot of redevelopment as we all know and gentrification here in San Francisco but more specifically in one of the hidden gems in the Bay Area which is the Tenderloin and um, it actually reminds me of what happened in Los Angeles um, maybe in the past decade while I was here in the Bay Area and I wasn't able to be involved so I'm very passionate about what's going on here in the Bay Area um, in Los Angeles Skid Row was completely redeveloped um, in maybe 2005 or so and um, it, there was a big political push and uh, a lot of people weren't tried to do stuff about it and uh, pretty much all the homeless were pushed out um, now it's pretty Manhattan New York and downtown LA and mm -hmm. it's really sad to see and it's sad that I feel my community uh, is lost and also that I wasn't able to be involved um, and so I'm very passionate about what's going on here in the Bay Area and the Tenderloin. It reminds me of the exact same thing. Not only that, but just globally all over the world, it's it's going on and it's going to continue to happen yes. if we don't do something about it. So we need a lot of help. We need a lot of support. We need in in, in any way possible. So the way we're doing it is more through the arts. Awesome. So we're showcasing, um, I think, something that came up this uh, in the past few years, like the hidden gems in the Tenderloin. So yeah. apparently there are about 400 plus beautiful uh, architecturally developed buildings around. Uh, there are a lot of theaters, um, a lot of um, apartments, homes. Um, after the San Francisco earthquake in 1903 or 04, I keep 06, forgetting, yeah. 06, um, uh, you know, a lot of the hidden gems are, are there and they're beautiful and uh, like anywhere in the world, uh, they should be kept, yes. and there are reasons to be kept, and that's what makes San Francisco one of the most beautiful places Definitely. on earth. Yeah, not only those buildings, but the people that uh, showcase those buildings, help produce shows in those buildings. Uh, so we're trying to do that through this collaborative, and so we're actually having a show, and I invite everyone that's interested in, in joining. We will be showcasing um, live art, live music, um, comedies, uh, singing, um, and emceeing at a local cafe at the Tenderloin, and that is at 335 Jones Street. Okay. And uh, that is Friday of next week okay. on August the 21st. Okay. So please come join us uh, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Okay, 7 to 9 uh, next Friday the 21st. Got it. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I'm yeah. pretty new to this, so uh, what sure. else can I uh, Sure. Maybe share. if you want to talk a little bit about your history and uh, um, what, like growing up, did you have a, an instinct that you wanted to get into this work? Um, well... It, I mean, definitely growing up, it's. Oh, yeah. You can keep speaking. Definitely growing up, um, it. Uh, yeah. We can go ahead. Was. Um, 
uh, my parents were big um, activists as well and, and very involved in local communities. But um, being a uh, first generation from uh, Mexican-American parents um, definitely uh, helped me uh, explore more of this. And also being a queer woman of color yes. as I self-identify. So um, seeing a lot of class issues, uh, uh, gender issues, sexuality issues, and um, so it brings me to a good place here in this environment that is always brewing with all of these topics here yes. in the Bay. And um, I, I feel that it, it definitely inspires me, like mm -hmm. I said, um, growing up in a certain place, but then also living in another melting pot. and going to different places um, all over the world uh, through my work and, and through my own travels, it, it definitely inspires me to do more. So I don't know, from uh, undeveloped countries to more developed countries, so it, it brings back that uh, things can be better yes. and, and, and not necessarily with my, my specialty in cost efficiency, but definitely more um, that it you don't have to in other words like chip people for for money mm -hmm. like people can still survive and, and make profits but if you take if you take some type of responsibility then uh, it can be done and so through different business models across the world I'm always exploring what works so definitely something that's inspired me a lot uh, uh, nowadays is Glide Memorial yes so um, that's how I met uh, George mm -hmm. who brought me on the show and also another mentor that I have that will be emceeing at our um, Tenderloin show next week Charles um, Houston and so uh, we are in the local choir at Glide, and it that model, that business model, is just amazing, amazing through these two founders, two radical activists that, that it can be done, you Excellent. know, and they bring people from all over the world. Very cool. Definitely, yeah. Um, well, I got more in tuned uh, when I came to San Francisco 15 years ago. I learned of it through my work through UCSF. So I was doing a lot of uh, clinical trials mm -hmm. for HIV patients mm -hmm. and low-income patients. Mm -hmm. uh, so with that, it brings queer people. So a lot of the trans uh, community uh, was involved in the Tenderloin, or they all live there. So I got to speak to them and interview them. Um, about their uh, health history in the Tenderloin. Yes. And again, it was during the dot-com boom, the first one in 2000, so they were all being run out mm -hmm. as well. And again, the artists were trying to survive, the dancers, um, the, the uh, sex workers. Uh, Alex, hey, can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal 
extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4AltaCalifornia.com. That's 4AltaCalifornia.com. 